I have to say this, a real privilege to have heard uh, speeches as authentic as we have just heard uh, from, for example, uh, His Majesty of Lesotho describing the circumstances of his people. But I also think that Prince Benazant Halal from Jordan's speech is much more than a speech. It is an invocation for truth, for us to be real, to deliver authenticity in relation to what we stand for, in relation to the morality of politics and international affairs. And I thank him for his reminder, and particularly for the vision of the world that he represents. I'm delighted, of course, to have been asked to be part of the World Food Forum and to be meeting here at the Food and Agricultural Organization of the United Nations. For this forum is of immense importance, focused as it is, as we all know now, food security. And you have heard it so often, the necessary transformation of our agri-food systems so that they may be fit for purpose to address urgent current challenges, and indeed the different interacting crises that we have. But in the spirit of the speech that you have heard, and particularly from Prince Jordan, I would just say this, it is very important that we say that changing the transformation in food systems is not about adjustment, no more than the destruction of our planet in relation to existing industrialization models is not about adjusting. It is about changing, and it requires making a significant, significant commitment to original and new thinking. That's why I repeat what I said this morning. It would, in my view, be absolutely disgraceful to simply ask coming generations to repeat our mistakes. And equally, I say also, I'm not so certain about this intergenerational difference because there are very many older people whose hearts have been broken at our failure to deal with you, to achieve equality, to end hunger, and to make a world that would be characterized by cooperation rather than by conflict and war. We must address the dysfunctionalities, yes, that are not sufficiently recognized regarding the delivery of food, where success in production is often defeated by costly transportation. The issues of ownership of seeds, fertilizers, tools of production, and their distribution, obstacles to the migration of science and technological innovations. Questions surely about the lending policies of the financial institutions cannot continue to be ignored. We ask people who have suffered from COVID and people who are suffering from food from poverty and from food nutrition deficiencies. We ask them to finance loans in so many countries. What they pay in servicing loans exceeds what they're paying in public health and education. We know that some of Europe's largest lenders assisted fossil fuel companies to raise more than one trillion from the global bond markets since the Paris Climate Agreement. That is a test of authenticity. We must face up to these sobering facts, facts which illustrate the dysfunctionality of our current food system. Half the world's over 8 billion population are defined as malnourished. How 2 billion people are experiencing undernutrition. 
how over 2.5 billion people consume low-quality diets or too much food, while 3 billion people could not afford a healthy diet. Yet 1.6 billion tonnes of primary food production are wasted each year in what are described as developed countries, where obesity levels continue to spiral. Such food wastage results in an unnecessary carbon footprint estimated at 3.3 billion tonnes of CO2 equivalent emissions being released into the atmosphere each year. The total volume of water used each year to produce food that is lost or wasted, 250 cubic kilometres, is equivalent to three times the volume of Lake Geneva. Similarly, 1.4 billion hectares of land, 28% of the world's agricultural area, is used annually to produce food that is lost or wasted. Those countries known as developing countries suffer significant and avoidable food losses during agricultural production, while in middle and high income regions, it is food discarded at the retail and consumer levels that is contributing to food waste. Our agri-food systems are broken, not fit for purpose, causing our planet harm, leading to food dependency, food insecurity and hunger. So we have to tackle two food speculation in crops, especially in wheat production. While recent volatile prices for crops are certainly a result of geopolitical movements and exacerbated by war, as well as weather forecasts, these variations have been exacerbated, as I have said, as studies of recent famines shown, by excessive financial speculation, a speculation that is affecting also transparency as to reserves held around the world. Food storage must be addressed. The over-concentration of wheat reserves, for example, among just a handful of nations must be tackled. China now holds over half of all wheat reserves globally. The European Union plus seven countries, it goes over 80%. Excessive stockpiling is driving up international food prices, having devastating consequences for poorer food insecure nations. We need what is little less than a new departure in all of this with regard to food production models, one that deals with local realities, one that benefits some evidence from below, emerging from the new empirical peer-reviewed anthropology guided by the new African scholars, for example. Such a model offers a transparency as to what is happening and being received, and a security that a complete dependency on the market indicators of the international food value chain can ever offer. Yet it is those indicators on the market that we transact rather than the experience of the hunger and shortages that are there. To bring new models into being, ones that can serve the diversity of our needs and sufficiency in a sustainable way, requires a recognition of the flawed assumptions upon which our current model was based. And this will be very, very difficult to achieve. And I salute those who have worked for that in adverse circumstances. There are assumptions which have a history guiding what brought us to destruction in our planet. From an early emphasis on the subjugation of nature came the imposed hegemonic idea of progress, followed by modernization theory, evolutionist development theory, such as that outline, and indeed led by the Princeton studies of the 1960s, 
that I studied myself in the United States and that would go on to guide the practices of the World Bank and the devastation it wreaked on agriculture in so many places in the world. What a price we have paid for those ideologically laden modernization-influenced development theories with their inherent bias against indigenous practices and local cultural agency. We have not faced the basic structural issues that influence food and security. How did so many in Africa become so dependent on so few staples, the production, distribution and consumption of which they have so little control over? How did the complex dependencies of global value chains develop and how are they sustained and by whom for whom? It is a remarkable statistic that despite having two thirds of the remaining arable land, Africa still imports 100 million tons of food at a cost of $75 billion annually. Yet African nations along with many others facing food security challenges have the potential to be self-sufficient with different models, to be self-sufficient in terms of food production, and to make a contribution to feeding the world. We now need the best ecological practices in agriculture, including agroecology, to become widespread. And this is substantially different from mere adjustments to the productionist agronomy model, which after all is a colonially imposed food system, which has exacerbated food insecurity by creating over-dependence on a small number of staples and an over-reliance on imported fertilizer, pesticide and seeds. We must acquire a space for the discourse that is needed if we are to achieve the necessary transformation in policy and practice. That is an achievement we've yet to make. We must move past a reactive emergency response to one that confronts the structural causes of hunger. A humanitarian response is of course urgent, essential, is so welcome, but it is not sufficient. The underlying failure, some structural, but some sourced in the inadequacies of the multilateral institutional architecture are disrupting global food supply and must be addressed. The global humanitarian response must not be distorted to functioning as a mask that serves to cover for the continued neglect of the structural sources of food insecurity. Yes, increasing food production in an appropriate way for our growing world population must be undertaken as urgent. But what is crucial are the addressing of the social structures in which that increase in production and distribution of food is achieved. We have had a limiting overfocus on food productivity, food volumes and yields. This has led to a simplification and we must move beyond it if we are to tackle the root causes of food insecurity. It is a fundamental issue as to where food is produced, what is produced, how it is produced and with whose participation. A range of staples high in nutrition can be produced in the regions where they are needed and make unnecessary the practice of long hazardous transport routes and supplier monopolies. Agroecological models too can contribute to showing as a way a pathway from dependence and insecurity towards a decolonized agronomy. We must make concerted efforts to ensure the removal of barriers too to diverse agricultural developments in food insecure regions such as Africa if we are to unlock 
its vast potential. The 19th century, you know, was a brilliant century for cartography, but we can only speculate as to what a similar exercise in map making today on what has been lost through desertification, destruction of soil fertility, unplanned forced urbanization, and the general effects of climate change would show us. A cartography of consequences of climate change and inappropriate policies would be very revelatory. We must ensure that our food production models promote greater autonomies, are informed by local wisdoms, respect for seed sovereignty of native practices and indigenous peoples, taking cognizance of the consequences of large-scale land and water resource ownership and soil fertility maps. Increases in food production must be sustainable, even as we continue to lose land to environmental degradation and climate change, with all the horrific loss of biodiversity that is involved. Ours must be a values-led approach to politics and food security. And I have my age and can tell you, know what it is to have values-based normative theory in foreign policy rejected. We must move beyond interest-based thinking in relation to our foreign policy. This is not just necessary to address rising global hun hunger. May I suggest it is fundamental to democracy itself. The European Union should use its considerable influence to promote systemic shifts at global level, strengthen localization of food production and policy coherence. We must, dear friends, face up to some difficult questions. How do we achieve balance globally between feeding people and feeding animals to feed people? What about the balance between meat and plant-based diets with regard to health, nutrition and climate impacts? How do we find the optimal balance between land use for food crops versus land use for biofuel crops? What are the cultural implications of changes in land use? Let us this week imagine a world where as that seminal 1972 report, the limits to growth commissioned by the Club of Rome, Rome remarked, each person has an equal opportunity to realize their individual potential. A world where, as writer and practitioner Clendenning puts it, the food needed for healthy diets is produced, managed, and distributed in ways that do not harm the environment. Ways that can begin to not only go somewhere towards repairing the damage done, but halt ongoing environmental degradation. I have advocated and advocate again the use of old tools abandoned and with colonial departures, the tools of anthropology for a new purpose. The purpose of the new anthropology will be to see how the consequences of climate change are being experienced, how interventions are being experienced, how whether they're succeeding or not succeeding, how strategies of intent will facilitate citizen involvement, inclusion, rights of women and children. The pursuit of resilience in our food systems may help us to see beyond disagreements and to begin resolving conflicts, the growing convergence of food systems and climate diplomacy should prompt us to overcome competing and wasteful silo approaches in multilateral diplomacy and to recommit to the United Nations 2030 agenda and the sustainable development goals. Our collective shared blueprint, after all, for a sustainable world and a secure humanity. I so wish the World Food Forum and all of its participants every success. We've got banned out of the system of weakest levels of the 
my great gratitude to you for listening to me. Mele Burke said.